0: On today's episode, we listen to our friend Ramesh tell the story of his experience launching a successful band at 22.
1: Some things we explore, loneliness versus aloneness, fleeing into our phones, and what it means to be a healthy leader. Welcome to If I May Be So Bold, a podcast about relationships.
0: The ones we have with others and the one we
1: have with ourselves. I'm Dan Epstein. I'm a recording artist, former opera singer, and early childhood educator.
0: I'm Justin Waring Crane, a therapist, recovering perfectionist, and karaoke star. Before we get started.
1: Before the interview. Before the interview. Mm -hmm.
0: We just want to briefly talk about, well, let me ask you, Dan, what was it like for you to hear our first episode and know that it's out in the world
1: now? You know, it feels weird because I'm someone, I mean, what I'm finding is that I have, you know, a lot of desire to control what people think of me. And, um, (laughs) what it's making me realize is that the thing I really am trying to accomplish, I think, with this project is to chip away at that. Um, and by chip away at that, I mean, try to embrace, uh, who's actually like who I, (laughs) fuck, I don't know try to like just accept and not control the outcome of how people are going to receive me.
0: Yeah. It's so hard. I mean, I think we both struggle with that. And yeah, I think that's my biggest takeaway is that um it's out there in the world and as I was listening to it, I was even arguing with myself a little bit. I was like, "Wait, like I don't even really think that anymore." I can't remember you, what, what you don't it want was, an but yeah, I don't remember. But um, I think that's going to that's gonna happen. You know, it's like we're going to put stuff out into the world and then like our views and our life experiences mm-hmm. and our opinions are going to change. So, um, yeah, I think it's good for my perfectionism to say.
1: Yeah, it's also weird because because we're in a relationship. It's like, you know, there's going to be natural sort of tensing against how myself the individual is coming across and then also how our relationship is coming across but that's sort of the whole point is like yeah we're imperfect uh we don't know everything and we're the whole point is we want to learn from this and defeat i don't know defeat some of our ego maybe do you want to share anything about anything you did or didn't like about hearing yourself
0: there were some times where I felt like, oh, was that a real laugh? Or like yeah, times where oh I was like, God. I just like would cringe at the sound of my own voice. Or like um, that you and I were like laughing about something that maybe it wasn't clear. Wouldn't have been clear to the listener what we were laughing at. So it's mm. like nobody's like in on this yeah. with us. And then I was just like, oh my God, this is hell.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hearing yourself fake laugh is really unpleasant it's a tough one it's gross all right okay
0: let's get to it shall we okay so i think it would be helpful if we could talk about your story a little bit in Uh you know having success early on in your band so you were in a band that's right um and i wonder i don't know anything about it so um how did that come about and what was that experience like for you
2: that came about not intentionally creating a band so the idea was really just that i had written songs and i wanted to turn the songs into like you know full-fledged songs with a band but not like a band that was supposed to remain as a band just a group of people to make these songs right uh and it was right before I already knew that I was going to college in uh Scotland. So it was right before I was about to leave. So it was very like like yeah, it was very non-committal. It was kind of designed to be non-committal because I was leaving. So but uh yeah, th- the interesting thing is that that it took on a life of its own, like it the band or the music or the entity ended up carving its own path and actually like its growth while I was living in Scotland for three years and coming back just to like play with the band for the summer or for Christmas break. And we record another song and another song and release it. Like every time we come back and play, the audiences were getting bigger, even though we were not technically in like a local active band. We were a band that played, Twice a year, you know, at best. But the audiences were getting bigger, and people were buying the CDRs and stuff in all the local record stores. So then, at the end of three years, once we got like significantly big audiences, this guy James, who was the booker at this really like was like the, the most fun, coolest club. Like, if you were a band, if you're an indie band in Austin, it's like absolutely where you want to play. He'd actually booked us to start playing there because he got one of our CDRs in the mail from this friend that was helping manage us, and he became our manager. And he was like, "If you really want to take this seriously, then you should move back to the United States and like really like,, uh, go for it, you know, So mm. I left uh, my the end of my third year of college and came back and just kind of hit the ground running instantly. And within a year, like we within a year we were touring a lot and then within less than 2 years or maybe within 2 years we, we were signed actually so it was a really fast once it got going it was fast but it was like mm. years leading up to getting going
1: it's interesting because i feel this real like uh parallel with you where you had this experience of kind of pursuing this thing that you wanted young and getting mm-hmm. it and, like, getting this thing that you wanted or thought you wanted, uh, so, you know, doesn't matter. But And I feel like I had that, too, but not in the professional sense, in the, like, relational mm-hmm. sense where I got into a relationship that I was like, oh, yeah, this is something I've always wanted. And I really got it. And it definitely affected how I related to that idea after it ended.
2: Right.
1: You know what I mean? And I feel like... um in a way it was a it was good it was a blessing because when i was then single i wasn't like ooh i want to get into a really serious <laughs> relationship <Yeah>. because i <laughs> i didn't have delusions about like that that was the answer or something right. at least for what i needed at that point
2: yeah well when the band first broke up i feel like i spent the next 5 years still thinking that what i needed was was to be famous or you know That what I needed was just to get that sort... I was never even that famous, but like a semi-celebrity status back. Whatever. That I felt like I needed to have this like exceptional life so I didn't have to face quote-unquote real life, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what I thought that I needed. But over a long period of time, it then has occurred... Well, occurred sounds like it happened fast. Over a long period of time, it has become apparent to me that... What I really needed is what everybody needs, which is true connection to yourself, you know? And now I understand because it's not like I had that experience and now I'm like, fuck that. Like, I never want to be successful again. And it's not like that at all. Like, I still, of course, like want to be successful with my music and fully believe in it. But I understand now that what, that if you don't have that connection, to your true self and what you're doing, then it's never going to feel good. Like the outside accolade should only come as a, should only come as a product um, of the thing that you're creating or should only should be, uh, yeah, should come as a not reward, but you know what I'm saying? Like what you create, what you create is what should create the attention towards you in a positive way, not fame.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm wondering about roles um and if there were any was any overlap or parallels with uh the role that you see yourself as having occupied when you were in the band um and other roles that you have occupied in other spheres of your life family, friendship, romance.
2: Well, the role in the band thing has has been a strange thing for me to digest because ultimately it's like ultimately I do see myself as a leader. Like it's something I'm good at is like putting people together and being in charge of something to work towards a common goal. So I do see that I do feel that way still, Mm -hmm. but then have also felt how that is being a leader is different than making yourself the center of attention and needing that in order to feel validated Mm -hmm. you know so in the past and this is funny because i I don't even know if we're going to talk about the enneagram but this figures very much into the the type three performer achiever which i am they say that the path of growth for the type three is to go towards a healthy six and since the healthy six is the loyalist And they healthy sixes or no no, unhealthy sixes don't trust themselves, so they always look for other people or systems to trust. So they say, but a healthy six, of course, is like dedicated to working for the common good in cooperation, right? So they say, for the three, it's like yes, you can be a natural shining star and a leader in life, but in order for that to for you to really be your best self, you need to understand that everything that happens. Is always happening through a confluence of everybody and everything. The idea that you achieve it, quote unquote, by yourself is really not the truth. Mm. Like you owe oh, everything you achieve, you achieve in concert with all of existence. And it takes all these other people and forces, it doesn't even have to be a mystical thing, like it's just true. It takes other people and forces working with you for it to work out, right? Right. Yes. And that's why. We have this sense of when something's right, that it's kind of like, it's kind of working for everybody involved. And that's how it really stays alive. And that's how it has legs. So I now see it more that, yeah, like I have this thing. I want to make my own music. I release it under my own name. But the more that when I work with people that I under that I take their life into account and I kind of take the whole circumstance and yeah, think about how I am interacting with everybody and everything. And and yeah, then it's sort of like then life makes you a leader. You know what I'm saying? Like when you're really like going with life, life makes you a leader. If you mm. try and fight against life to be special, then it's like a contraction and it yeah. causes pain, I think.
1: Mm. Yeah. And I'm really interested, having known you for a long time, in how your like natural inclination to lead and corral um has been frustrating for you at times too, like whether it's in romantic relationships or in just like, I've experienced it with you, like, for example, when with our mutual friend, Sheila, when I was yeah. like kind of her and I kind of weren't speaking very much. And I felt it with yeah. you where you were like, all right, guys, like, let's get back on the same page here. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you remember that?
2: Yeah, I do remember that. I'm so tribe minded. That's what Sarah says. And that, I mean, not to bring our other favorite subject, that is a Myers-Briggs ENTJ thing. Like, I'm very, very always concerned about about the the needs and the mood of the tribe (laughs) of how everyone's doing and if we're all working towards that uh common goal whatever it is right
0: and what's the dark side of that could we talk about that
2: oh yeah uh (laughs) the dark side you're saying the dark side of being tribe minded yeah
0: like About kind of seeing like, okay, there's, I have determined that there's this common goal that is Mm -hmm. valuable and that everybody else really needs to get on board with that. So I'm going to kind of direct and uh, sort of uh, instruct and, you know, (laughs) kind of recruit people to this cause, basically.
2: I think the dark side is that you can, uh, you can essentially lose touch with yourself like uh i think that you can you can forget about your own needs you know like you can forget about like what it is that would actually be like uh truly satisfying and nurturing to you in any given moment you know and i don't just mean i mean i I wish that i just meant in this totally altruistic (laughs) self-sacrificial way just because you're worried about the tribe but Actually, I think it's like the desire to be special and to be important and to be in charge or whatever, like the desire to be above everybody else can drive you. You can get so driven with that and with the image of that, right? Because, of course, it's not real. You never are actually better than anybody else. You can get so driven by the image of that that you lose touch with the true desire of your heart. And then it's like you don't even know yourself.
1: Right. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I'm curious how it's a, how it affects you when you like start to have a romantic connection with someone, which is something I've heard a little bit about, but from mm-hmm. you. But um, in terms of sort of having this natural sense of disposition in life of like, I know like what a good route for us to take is and like mm-hmm. that I imagine can kick in earlier than maybe... Uh makes sense for like getting to know someone or I'd love to hear you talk about that if you're
2: yeah. I'd say it is pretty corollary with anxious attachment. And that like, yeah, once if you decide you like somebody, then it's like, yes, this this person should obviously should obviously see it the same way. But I think that I actually think everybody experiences that to some degree. And this is why rejection hurts, right? (laughs) Or that we don't see it we don't see it as like or that famous phrase rejection is protection like we don't see mm-hmm. it that way it's like yeah like krish all of our favorite mutual therapists would say <laughs> that, that like rejection is really just the universe telling you that it's not the right person my roommates mm-hmm. but like
0: and i also often say give thanks for the rejection that was actually god's protection
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah yeah, yeah it's and it is it pretty much always turns out to be true if you look at it if you look backwards you know uh, once you've gone past the pain of the rejection there is what you could call a reason for right. it right but it's but it's interesting because in in dating it's been this thing where like I honestly, as a gay person, have sometimes felt very, very confused about like which, which role I'm supposed to take in terms of like, I, yeah, it's like part of me, like the masculine, feminine sort of, uh, what we call it, maybe call it like an energy, uh, axis, spectrum, this? spectrum. There we go. And an energy spectrum of masculine, feminine, and, and of course, always be careful with this because I know that, like, well, as to say, I know that not everybody
1: subscribes. identifies
2: specifically with those energies, but the way that I experience it, and of course, that's confusing for me as a gay person too. Cause I'm like, how do I identify? It's not like I can say that I'm like all of one thing or the other, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it's like a strange thing that I felt my whole life. So, yeah, in some ways, like, like being drawn to all these, hyper masculine men right in dating being drawn to these men i just would assumed all the time like it's because you know i'm more in the uh in the feminine side of the spectrum right and this is why i'm drawn to these men and it makes absolute sense because then we'll complete each other like yin yang so in my mind the the idea was always that once i met the right guy that like i would sort of Yeah, this is kind of twisted sounding that I would sort of abdicate some of my power. And within that, I would find satisfaction like that's how we would fit together like puzzle pieces. But the more I continue to live and the more I kind of uh, discover about myself and about my true nature, I find that this might not be true, actually. Mm. And it makes it kind of confusing for me in dating because sometimes I think, okay. like with these guys, I was choosing like what percentage of it are certain qualities in myself that I had disowned, like certain powers in myself that I disowned and then sought out in people who have like stereotypically uh, um what do you what's that word I'm looking for stereotypically exaggerated. Hmm versions of these qualities you know what i'm saying masculine qualities that you had maybe disowned in yourself sure so seeking out somebody who i perceive to be like obviously powerful Mm. right look at physically and be like this person is obviously big muscles (laughs) sure yeah whatever it is like and thinking like and this is a thing i don't have so Mm -hmm. this person has it right Mm, right but then learning slowly that yeah like like maybe the person I'm looking for is not really so quote unquote opposite me. And maybe even the way I am is not the way that I perceive myself to be. And that yeah. is, it's tough in the gay world because there's a lot of, uh yeah, there's a lot of, it's actually pretty fucked up. It's like, there's a lot of pressure or a lot of celebration of men Who are super stereotypically straight and hyper masculine, Mm -hmm. which is not how all gay men are, nor should they be. And if they're not, then like being classified as, as femme and like that's a bad thing. Like the whole thing is super fucking toxic Mm -hmm. and it really fucks with your head. And it's really like the values of pornography are projected all across gay culture as the values of life. Like it's very bad, I think, Mm. and it takes a lot of work to undo the mental conditioning.
1: Do you think there was a desire in like sort of this sort of image you had of what it would look like to shack up with like a very masculine man? Mm. Was there a desire of embodying a more feminine sort of traditionally feminine uh, part of yourself that you felt like you couldn't on your own? Or am I way off with that?
2: It's possible. I've thought about it. I mean, sometimes I've thought like, oh, yeah, like, is it that I actually would? Well, I guess exactly what you're saying. And I honestly don't know the answer.
1: I feel as as someone who's only uh, dated women, um, I, f- in the last like year or two of my life, has really, in the moments where I felt embraced for not having to like, perform masculinity i felt Uh so authentic and like it's felt so comforting and like such a relief to me like certain certain friends of mine like gay friends um were just like i feel like oh i'm being loved not for the like ideal of the masculine version of myself that i've always felt like a need to keep up and Mm -hmm. it's like it's like i didn't know how much energy i was expending trying to keep that up
2: yeah. Cause that's, yeah, that's awesome. I mean, that, it seems like that's the deal, right? Is like, like the two times I've, that I can distinctly tell that I experienced love with people versus just, uh, sexual excitement and dating, you know, the two times where I'm like, oh, that's the other thing. We're both, it's like non-performative, right? It's like, it really is like just this, this true connection of the, essences and i think it's yeah like i think that's just a powerful cosmic thing and really like nobody should have to yeah nobody should have to overthink overthink like how they are presenting to the world you know and i think it's become a an even more clear issue as like as uh yeah as gender roles and as uh, you know like the rights of trans people like as these things become more and more in the in the public consciousness and people wake up to it more and more then we see like how people just like really deserve to be them true to be their true selves you know without being performative and it's mm-hmm. like i think it's possible that there's so many love connections out there that can exist that have been blocked by this fear of image.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I got chills as you were saying that because I was like, Ooh, I see such a through line between what we're interested in with doing Mm -hmm. these episodes. Me and Dan, Uh, Justin and I, you want to say it again? And then we'll go back and forth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In terms of, yeah, like that is the goal, right? Is to show people that they don't have to keep up a certain appearance or play a certain role to have some imagined version of a good relationship, whether it's with your familiar relationships or romantic or friends. Like, there is such a clear, that's such a universal thing of like, Mm -hmm. man, like we all really want to just be able to do right by ourselves. And so many, there's so many reasons to feel like you can't.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think about how I was rewarded in my early romantic relationships for embodying traits that were uh that are associated with being more traditionally masculine and mm. and that was making me more appealing to men and how I was like kind of Uh, sort of trying to portray myself as really like tough and kind of like, I don't give a fuck about anything. I'm chill. I'm so chill. You know, like that, obviously like that, That it was, that was the real pandemic. I mean, no, but just like people, like the whole like chill (laughs) woman, but that was actually obviously internalized misogyny that was idealizing and prizing, uh, women who are low maintenance. And then it was only Mm -hmm. as I started saying like, Oh my God, like I didn't now that I know that that's internalized misogyny and is actually like a weapon to get women to like accept abusive and, Just bad, gross treatment from men, and let Mm -hmm. men get away with whatever. Then started embodying like more traditionally like feminine, you know, characteristics and being like, actually, like I have very specific ideas about what I want. You know, I want four pillows on the bed, and they have to be a very (laughs) certain (laughs) buoyancy. And like, I don't like camping, and you know, like just and obviously, like women can love camping. I don't think that has to be a gendered thing, but like, right. Yeah. And when, when I started then embracing like my female friendships instead of having to embody this persona of girl who can hang with the guys, you know, and be like, right. you know, it's yeah. just like when I let all that go, I was like, God, I'm so much happier, you know, and like if guys, yeah. you know, it's like and then I wasn't like positioning myself to be acceptable to men. And then obviously what happened, they just came raining down from the <laughs> sky. But, you know, that, <laughs> that wasn't wasn't why I did it. Um, but yeah. But right. it, that did happen. <laughs> but I just want to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely
2: happened.
1: <laughs> yeah. And the other part, the other part is like I think a lot of us do that because we're really afraid of of being alone, right? Of like Right. Um, which I'm curious to kind of hear. You're someone who has spent a lot more time alone since the band mm-hmm. breaking up, and right. we talked a little bit about this idea of aloneness versus loneliness. Um, right. And has that I has that value shifted a lot for you?
2: The value of being alone.
1: Yeah, it has for me. But I want you to hear what you what your experience yes. is.
2: I would say my main, well. My main, uh, the first thing that springs to mind when you say that, which is the central crux of my whole thought on loneliness versus aloneness is something that Norberto, my great teacher and I guess you could say ayahuasca shaman, but I don't think he would call himself that. But a person who worked with ayahuasca, who is very knowledgeable healer, said to me, that the desire to, the positive, outgoing desire to be with somebody is a good thing. That's one force. But that loneliness is the wound. And that is not the same thing. That lonely, yeah, loneliness is, is the hole that we're trying to fill all the time. And aloneness is not that. Aloneness is, in essence, the truth of life, right? That everybody is alone. But then when you're with somebody in a healthy relationship, that it's interdependent and not codependent. It's always two alone people or two people who are essentially alone choosing to be together at that time. Right. It's never like otherwise it's an entanglement.
1: Mm. Alone so I think together. About,
2: I think about this a lot. And actually, Chris, I was talking to you about this the other day.
1: Chris again about is how- both Ramesh and my therapist. <laughs> that's right. And and, me Justin, and Dan's Justin couple of and-,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and was Norberto's therapist. Oh my Ooh.
1: god. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and uh yeah, Chris and I were talking about it, and he was saying, and I, I've experienced this many times, especially with meditation, that aloneness, like if you're if you are actually alone, since <laughs> you're sitting alone, right? <laughs> and you're feeling lonely if you're feeling the wound then the drive to do anything you you can do to alleviate the pain or the uh just discomfort the restlessness of the loneliness that comes like the drive to eliminate it is so extreme mm. and it's like doesn't even just show up always as like like you might not be sitting there crying like oh my god i'm so lonely but it's like that discomfort that comes, he that probably had, or definitely had since childhood, it's like, for a lot of us, it actually manifests as flight response. So it's really like, it feels like, it actually feels like anxiety, like anxious discomfort. And it's like, must, he said, you, you know, like, you'll probably start talking faster, like your thoughts start racing and then for a lot of us, it's like, okay, now I'm picking up the phone. I'm looking at these dating yes. apps, like whatever it is, te- or even not, even if it, it doesn't turn sexual, you're like texting people to hang out, whatever it is. Yes. It's like the loneliness, like must erase it, mm. must erase it. But then if you sit with the loneliness and allow yourself to feel it and see that in fact, the wave does pass and actually I think through meditation you don't have to be sitting there with your hands in the in any special position but you know just sitting there and being with it and like and at some point sort of grieving it I think like mm-hmm. often there's tears or whatever it is I think then or I don't think I know then on the other side of it you really come into what feels like a disillusion like whatever was there in the center of you that was like really difficult and you didn't want to feel it it dissolves and i think when when it dissolves you then really experience this like kind of deep deep yeah connection to yourself but more like more like an integrity like you once it dissolves you somatically experience the fact that you are one thing all the way through and that that one thing is actually connected to everything and so the essential state of aloneness, that truth is actually that you are connected to absolutely everything. And the need to like reach out mm. completely goes away. Of course, yes. it doesn't last forever. It probably does if you're enlightened or something. But, <laughs> right. but it goes away, right? And you experience what is actual true peace. Which is integration. Not, what's that? Which is
0: integration. I think that's another word yeah. for integration. Yeah. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. But so interesting that the impulse to reach out, in a sense, for connection robs you of the bigger sense of like cosmic universal co- connection.
2: Right. Yeah. And well, I think it, oh, sorry. No, ahead, yeah. Just-
0: reaching out as flight. I think what I really like about what you just said the only thing I like. No, just kidding. I liked all of it. But the fleeing into your phone, I think people don't see that as fleeing, but absolutely (sighs) it is fleeing. Like just that (laughs) that motion of picking up the phone is fleeing. But people, I think, have this idea of like, oh, flight is leaving the room or running away or like stopping the conversation or getting on a plane to go somewhere. Like these more literal and more obvious manifestations of running. But running for me is always just, picking up that phone. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's like anything to not anything to not be in that moment, basically, right?
1: Yeah. Um, And my version of it, which Chris has helped me see as well, is like uh I have such trauma around restlessness because I have ADHD, I am ADHD, and as a kid, I like really didn't know what to do with that energy. And it as a young child, it like manifested in an obsession with trying to get somewhere where I could play video games. Because that was like wow. the one place I felt calm and like I was had the proper type of stimulation. Mm-hmm. But now with my restlessness, which is still bad, it's like that child self is like talking to me is how I think of it. Yeah. And like what I didn't realize, but I've realized through therapy is like that my attitude towards that child is what was causing a lot of is what causes a lot of the suffering.
2: Because is- it was like uh, damning.
1: Well, yeah. Well, like, no, it's like that energy, that chattering shows up and like the evolved bigger version of myself is like, oh, like I need to be tended to like that child who's so afraid of the present moment needs like compassion and love. But instead, what I can fall into is like this motherfucker is really back again. Like, (laughs) what the fuck? Like just getting so have so much contempt for the unpleasantness. You know, of my experience, of my own experience, like, which is just so not good for anybody.
0: You can, you can flee into the future as well, which manifests as Uh planning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Talking about what are we going to do? And do you want to do this? And I do that as well. So like, I can kind of see that and see it in both of us when I'm like, I can't be here right now. So I need to go into the future and start thinking about what I'm going to be doing tomorrow or in two weeks or in a month,
1: (laughs) which is sort of what I was taught was like, think about something you're looking forward to when I I was anxious as a child or like if I couldn't go to sleep, think of something, you know, not like be with your experience.
0: Yeah. What can you do to feel it less? What can you do to numb it even more? Yeah,
1: I wish that everyone could see how much Justin and I are nodding whenever Ramesh is talking for like a long time. (laughs) We're like two
0: bobbleheads over here. Yeah,
1: funny. (laughs) Uh, Justin saw that energy reader um, Sylvie in Santa Monica. I think I've told you about. Oh, okay. She's amazing, but she said to Justin, "Maybe you tell the story about the cookie."
0: So Dan got me an energy reading with this woman amazing psychic in Santa Monica, um, named Sylvie for my birthday. And, um, she asked me, do you have any questions for me? Or maybe I should say it like this. She said, do you have any questions for me, sweetie? She's French. <laughs> um, and I was like, yeah, how can I have more patience about my healing process? And, uh-huh. I was like, I kind of want all my healing like right now. And she was like, of course you do. You're an Aries. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. (laughs) She was like, listen, if I tell you that there's cookies right here in the oven, we were in her kitchen, sitting at her kitchen table. She says, I tell you there's cookies in the oven. You can smell them. They smell amazing. And you say, can I have one? I say, not yet. Five more minutes. You say what? And I was like, Okay, yeah, I can I can wait 5 more minutes. Like I know they're going to, uh, you know, whatever. She's like, "Okay, so why is it easy to wait for the cookies to be done baking?" And I was like, "Cuz I just know like they're going to be great, uh, you know?" She's like right. she's like, "So it's about trust." So wow. you just trust that it's going to be great, like that you're going to heal and it's going to happen in the time frame it's supposed to happen and it's going to be amazing." Right. So she was like when the waiting feels bad that is anxiety but when the waiting feels exciting it's because you have trust so that's kind of the Uh, missing ingredient yeah
2: that's awesome yeah
1: and it sounds like you have cultivated a healthy sense of trust in your own journey
2: overall yes but not always on a moment moment basis there's a lot of there's a lot of panic still or there's still uh flashes of panic but i think it's what what helps me the most in those moments is really to to kind of just engage this um a kind of doer mentality like when it happens they'll be like kind of try and have a sense of humor about it and sort of just like shrug it off like yeah like I i wish i were you know, uh, floating in the pool at the Ritz Carlton, but I'm here at this (laughs) restaurant clearing this table. Like that is just what is happening right now. And, and to just like, you know, when it comes to going to work as I have to in a second, or if it's like even like doing something like, uh, yeah, working on a new song or whatever it is I need to do for my album or for the video that even if I have resistance to it, Did I just, and I, and I feel like, no, like it should be easier than this. Like I should know cosmically that it's right. It should just flow that I just like, like put it aside, can think of myself as a machine or something and just show up and just start doing it. And often it's like the results will in the end speak for themselves. And sometimes like, I think our mind ego can like trick us even while we're doing something that we love, like think that it's not good the whole time because we're like, right. You know what I'm saying? But I think you have to just work it the same What once, Yeah, and like the Bhagavad Gita, they say selfless work, just like working without thinking about the result, just totally involved in the task, like when a child is playing something and like playing with something like a toy and not really aware mm-hmm. of anything future past around them. Like be so single-mindedly involved in the task mm-hmm. until you're finished with the task and right. then like... Yeah, then just That's right. take a deep breath and move on. And eventually, it's like with that kind of work ethic, I think things do mm-hmm. come into cohesion. I will let you, do you go. Do you
0: want to be found? Do you want to drop your, your socials? Oh, Where can people find you?
2: It's a great point. I mean, my, I it's like all of my things. have. It's I have a website, RameshInspace.com, but I'm... St- uh, I need to finish updating. Uh, that's that's an egoless task I could do. <laughs> I got um, uh, my Instagram is the same, Ramesh in space, and I don't really use any like Twitter, mm-hmm. so inactive. Okay. Facebook, pretty inactive. Okay. But I feel like those two, yeah. Cover any fun? Spotify, iTunes, etc., etc. All
1: right. Hope you enjoyed that. um Ramesh his album is called Eternal Spring and it will be out on March 11th and he's having his album release show which will be in Austin Texas on March 1st at the Hotel Vegas and we will be there
0: Ooh, we will be there we'll be dancing our little dicks off I didn't <laughs> <do that. laughs> we could take that part out and that's our show. Thanks for joining us. Our music is by Nightlight. We self produce this podcast, so please subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps.